It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're going to talk about deductibles on your insurance plans. It is that time of year. Most people are enrolling if they haven't already. Joining me today is Amy Chambers. She's the co-founder of Health Bridge. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. All right. I just worked out insurance. It's going to kick in for January 1st. And one of the big decisions I had to make is, do I pick a plan where I pay less every month on my deductible? But if I do that, then I have to pay more out of pocket if I do wind up having to go to the doctor and need some procedures done or tests. Or I could pick a plan that I would pay more every month in the deductible, more would come out of my paycheck. But when I go to the doctor, if I do, I don't have to pay as much for the lab tests and things like that. So you're here to help me with that because I still have a few more days before I have to make my final decision. So I'd like to know if I made the right one. Great. Yes. Well, you are in the same predicament as millions of Americans who are fortunate enough to have employer-sponsored health care. So I'll just begin that way by saying um, you're not alone, but it is nice to have an election at work. I would say that um, most employers offer uh, one plan, so not everybody has a decision between plans, but if you have a decision between or among a few plans, taking your time and analyzing is is definitely where you are right now, and I, I can be helpful on that. So what I was thinking, I might give you some tips on how you might analyze those plan offerings. Okay. One plan is, it sounds great. It's only $60 a month. I get two paychecks a month. So it's 30 bucks out of each paycheck. But then if I do get sick or I, do, I just go to the doctor, I have to then pay $1,200 out of pocket before the insurance that I'm paying those, that $60 deductible on every month, before that insurance starts kicking in and going, okay, now we'll cover the rest of your costs. And the $60 only a month sounds great. Not so much liking the $1,200 out of pocket before the insurance decides to go, oh, okay, here we are. Now we'll help you. So you have what they call a high deductible plan. So maybe backing up a little bit, first of all, I will tell you that there is no one right answer for all your listeners as to what kind of plan is better. Like, should I be in a high deductible? Should I be in an HSA plan? Should I take the lowest copayment plan? One size does not fit all. And then the other thing that I would say is uh, short of having a crystal ball, there is also no perfect, no perfect decision. So, you know, don't get too upset about this because short of being able to get to the end of next year, knowing what all of your medical expenses wind up being at the end of 2022, you're never going to know how your plan will actually interact with what you need in the next year. 
With that said, there's a few things that I would recommend you do right now. And here's, let's just start with two. The first one is look back over your last year and think about um, what you spent your medical dollars on. So maybe you want to log on to your health plans uh, portal and look through your explanations of benefits or EOBs. They usually track, you know, your last 12 months for you. So you can take a look at how did you spend for prescription drugs? Are you on some kind of a maintenance drug? So figure out what you spend in prescriptions every month. Spend, figure out if you've got any chronic um, care where you have to go to specialist consistently or maybe some kind of test that you get consistently. All that to say, educate yourself or maybe remind yourself historically where you spend your dollars and then think a little bit about what your next year is going to look like. If you know you have some services coming up, um, those are the things that you should gather right now because that it's going to help you analyze what plan is best for you. The second part is, um, I know we hate during open enrollment, going through all this materials and listening to the things that uh, HR maybe is pumping out <laughs> right. through, right? Those meetings, ignoring meetings and all that stuff. But taking in a few extra minutes now to really understand your plan is going to be critical. And a few things that you're listening for. Um, can I go to the providers that I need to in this next year? Are they still in that network or have they changed the network construction? Because a lot of plans change from year to year. The other thing is understand all of the out-of-pockets. So when I say out-of-pockets, I'm talking about deductibles, co-insurance, and co-payments. What does that deductible, when you mentioned a deductible, what goes to it? Is it just your medical? Is there a separate one for prescription drugs? Are they combined like in many of the HSA medical plans? So understand the offerings and to that extent, even go in for help. I'll just end this by saying that a lot of HR departments partner with brokers and agents that put in these plans. They have people who can sit with you and you can bring up all of your old medical expenses, the stuff that I talked about first, like you bring everything in, you say, this is my last year. This is where I think I'm going to spend my dollars and help me analyze which plan is right for me. There are resources out there taking a few extra minutes, maybe a few like 15 or 30 minutes extra in the beginning of the year as you're making the selection is going to save you a lot of dollars over the next year. Yeah, that is really good. Yeah, because when when our HR, they had three different meetings we could attend based on, you know, what our schedule was. And I'm like, oh, I got to do this. But going to that meeting was fairly helpful. Unfortunately for me, it took about three weeks before I then like, okay, now I got to open up the plan. And by that time, I'd sort of forgotten what they'd said and trying to navigate it. The one thing I discovered with the plans that my company is offering, so I told you about the high deductible where I only pay $60 a month on that deductible, but I would have to fork out $1,200 out of pocket for any medical costs before the insurance then picked up the rest. But if I went to the next level plan, that deductible is about $175 a month. And then I only pay $500 out of pocket before insurance kicks in. But I added everything up together 
because the additional deductible, if I added up all the months of that additional deductible, it's the same amount of money as if I just paid $1,200 out of pocket, almost like within $150 of if I pay $1,200 out of pocket. So it leaves me even more confused because I'm like, well, am I going to have $1,200 to come up with if something bad happened? Or do I spread that out over the year? And both policies, they covered almost exactly the same things, health health insurance-wise. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that you're doing this correctly. And there is really no easy way to do it. You have to, like they said back in school, you have to do the math. And um, I'm going to call out a few of the things that you did really right and the things that everybody should be thinking about. So the first one is, and let, let me just preface this by saying, don't discount those high deductible plans. Don't discount the HSA because there's a lot of value to them and they could potentially fit anyone, even if you have high out-of-pockets. And, and I'll come back to that. But you, you definitely highlighted the things you should be doing. Number one, look at your premium cost share. Employers still pay the lion's share of health insurance premiums. So no matter what you pick, the, the, I think you said 175 or the 60, um, you're still getting a bargain for it. So you, you're really not going to go wrong. But that is one of the numbers that you're going to want to look at. The second one is going back to that deductible. How much do I have to pay out of pocket um, before my benefits kick in? and Note again, is it just for a medical deductible? Do my drugs also go to that deductible, which sometimes helps you get to the deductible faster, particularly in an HSA design? Or do I have separate deductibles that I need to meet for medical and prescription drugs? So kind of note on the side, what are my deductibles? Remember, you're only you know what your medical expenses are. So you're going to start applying that math to your situation. The other number that you really want to look at is called an out-of-pocket maximum, and that usually is the maximum that you will pay under that plan. It's usually above the deductible. Sometimes it's the same as the deductible, but in most plans, you have your deductible first, and then you've got this all-time max, the out-of-pocket maximum. And once you hit the out-of-pocket maximum, and that would be like if you had a catastrophic event. The idea with that out-of-pocket maximum is then you stop paying for the remainder of the plan year, which is a relief. So if you're really looking at what your total risk is, what your total exposure is, the number that you're going to look at is the out-of-pocket maximum. If when you look at maybe the less expensive plan premium-wise and you say, you know, that out-of-pocket, I could do that if, if I had a terrible event, if I slipped on a banana peel and I was in the hospital for a long time. If I could manage that out of pocket, maybe that higher deductible, low premium plan is something that I could risk absorb as an individual. And then um, the last thing I would look at is a lot of times employers will throw money into one of those tax preferred accounts. Either they're going to put money in if, if the program has an HSA attached to it, they may put some money to help offset my out of pocket. They may have a thing called a health reimbursement arrangement, an HRA, and that's money set aside to help me with the deductible. Not really my money, but I can use it for the deductible, a very narrow um, usual medical list, which is great. And then there's FSAs, which sometimes an employer will throw some money in, into. So that's the last piece of like kind of do the math that you're going to want to assemble when you're going through your analysis. 
And then you kind of put it all together. There are two obvious cases. So if you're a person who really only uses preventive care, which is free under all these programs, right. um, it, you know, you're a young invincible, you, you hardly have anything. Going with the cheaper plan, higher deductible is probably a safe bet. But I will also say people who have very catastrophic claims, very expensive, particularly drug claims, who will spend up to their deductible and hit their out-of-pocket max in January, if you can take that one big hit on an HSA program, I hit my deductible and the rest or my out-of-pocket max and the rest of the year is free, right? Because I hit my out-of-pocket max, plan's going to pay 100% for the rest of the year. I have counsel many a person who has very, very high costs who you would think, oh, well, an HSA program wouldn't work for them. They're technically high deductible health plans, HDHB health plans. They work marvelously for them. They just have to be able to absorb that, let's say, January expense. If they can handle that big January one and done expense, then the rest of the year goes really smoothly. So you can kind of see how you have to apply all of that math to your individual situation. I could see how that might work if you have a a larger family, you have younger kids and they're all on the plan and they maybe a couple of them are accident prone and have been their whole lives. I could see how that like, okay, it's the start of a new year. Which bone are they going to break this year? Yeah, well, that was my house. Um, so I, I actually wrote HSAs for dummies. Um, <laughs> I, not, I did. I really did. Um, and many years ago, that was my job. I designed all the high deductible health plans, the HSA compatible programs. And so I've been on an HSA my entire life because that's the, that's the plan I always choose. And I always say some years I win and I win big because I have very few. And then some years my kids break bone. And that's uh, having two kids who played sports. Uh, that's exactly how it goes. But I, I have enough experience looking over large pools of individuals to know that that's kind of everybody's experience. If you are not in one of those chronic medical situations and you're just kind of your your average American, you may hit your deductible um, one year and then not hit it for the next two or three years. And with an HSA program, which I'm particularly attracted to, you're able on a tax preferred basis to put monies in an HSA that never go away. So you can use it into the future. There's a lot of perks. And that's why I would say, don't discount the HSA. Don't let it scare you away. Even if you have high claims or anticipate a high claim year because it's still the math could still work for for you a little hint too: talk to your hr people your favorite hr person who put the benefits together because i will tell you they usually have a quote-unquote best value plan like they put those plans together they combined the premiums and the out-of-pockets and all that stuff they've got a pretty good b because they've done the math for different scenarios and they'll probably say, I look at this plan closer because we found that it probably would work for about 90% of our employees really well. So ask what that quote unquote best value plan is if they can give you some advice on that. Okay. We do need to take a break. When we come back, I actually do want to go a little bit more into HSAs, FSAs, FHA, all those, <laughs> all those acronyms. So we'll be right back with Amy Chambers. She is the COO of Healthbridge. 
two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that if it affects your life money-wise, we're talking about it. And today we're talking about health insurance. How do you know which plan you should take, How which deductible, high deductible, low deductible, out-of-pocket expenses, all of that. Joining me today is Amy Chambers. She is the COO and co-founder of HealthBridge. All right, Amy, in the last segment, we broke down uh, quite a bit what a high deductible is versus low and the the math. You basically said it, you got to do the math to figure out which plan might be best for you. But you started throwing out a whole bunch of acronyms there, HSA, FSA, few others. <laughs> HRAs, yeah. So first of all, they all have actual names, not just the acronym. So let's go over what some of those are. Sure, I'd be happy to do that and um, start with probably the easiest one that we can kind of put this to the side, but some people might have what they call an HRA, health reimbursement arrangement, not account, but it is an employer-sponsored plan. Only employer dollars can be in it, and an employer will set that up to help their plan participants, usually with medical deductibles only. If you're lucky enough to have an HRA, you'll know it because the employer will roll out a plan with a higher deductible, and they'll say, not to fret. Um, I will help you pay some of that deductible using the HRA. All you have to do is submit your medical expenses. Usually doesn't cover prescription drugs, usually just medical, or they'll automatically send your medical expenses over there. And then an HRA, meaning your employer dollars, will help pay your deductible. Well, let's put that to the side because an employee never has a decision as to whether or not they want to opt into an HRA. So that usually comes with the plan. But if you have an HRA, you're lucky and that's great. So let's talk about FSAs and HSAs. So we'll start with FSAs. They've been a long, they've been around the longest, but the rules have changed a little bit over the years. So an employer can offer what they call a flexible spending account. And that is an account that allows you as an employee to make pre-tax salary reductions to an account that um, you can use to uh, reimburse yourself or pay a provider directly for all kinds of covered medical care plus dental and vision. I'm sure that most of us have paid for orthodontics or, you know, glasses or over-the-counters with FSP dollars. Actually, I did sign up for the FSA last year. I didn't assign myself very much. It's $300, but it did help pay for some unexpected dental work. I just usually just need cleanings twice a year. But I wound up using part of that money for this unexpected 
dental work I had. They'd already taken it out of my paycheck, and now I just used what was on the card to pay pay for those costs. Yeah, and I I love an SSA because um, here's here's some little things that most people don't know about them. If you start your SSA, let's say on January 1st, that's when your plan renews, and you opted for a thousand dollar benefit, you are going to have pre-tax salary reductions of a thousand dollars taken out of your paycheck over the course of the year. If you need access to that $1,000 on January 1st, you can get it, even if it's not on the account. That's the law. So you have access to that full elected amount on the first day of the plan year without having all those dollars in there. So that's just a little little tip for people out there. So that was the FSA. Then what is the next one, the HSA? Well, yes, and that is HSAs are, are kind of my jam. And I, I love an HSA. And I would argue that there's no dollar out there like an HSA dollar. I haven't said that in a long time. <laughs> but it's triple tax preferred, meaning that when monies go into an HSA, they go in tax-free, they grow tax-free. And then when you take them out, as long as they are, are used on qualified medical expenses and, and that really is between you got in the IRS. It is never taxed. Oh, and what does HSA stand for? Health Savings Account. And those really are true accounts that are held by you, and they are held with a trustee or a custodian. And there's so many good things about it. You can spend the money today. You can spend it into the future. You can also contribute and have some major tax savings all the way up to the limit. And that's all tax-free, and you can put that in. I would argue that, well, I'll speak for myself. I put money into an HSA before I put money into an IRA or a 401k. Wow. It means that money is that powerful because if it's never taxed, and I can take it out at any time to reimburse myself for health care. So that's why I say that um, people should look seriously at that offering. Amy, we've talked about the differences in deductibles, how you have to do the math. Also, there's these other things you can opt into with your employer a lot of times, the FSAs, HSAs, but sometimes there's still a gap between what I have to pay out of pocket and how much money I actually have available to me to pay those costs. So help me figure that one out. Well, that is what I'm devoting the rest of my life to figuring out. I don't think there's a super easy answer. Um, you are highlighting something that is very important to the future of healthcare. So I'll, I'll just throw a few statistics at it. The average out of pocket is $8,000 on plans across the U.S. And the average American in times of emergency has about $500 in their pocket. Even when employers contribute to FSAs and HSAs, I mean, they can't cover the gap. They're already covering about 80% of the insurance premiums. They're, they're tapped out. So what's a person to do? And that's really, that's the problem that my company and many others out there are trying to solve. And, and why is that important? Um, because we know that with these uh, large out-of-pockets, and the, and the financial insecurity around them, about two-thirds of all people report that they are skipping or delaying care. That's a big deal. Not only is it more expensive when people come back for care when they finally reach the point where they can't delay it anymore, it's about three times more expensive, but it also can ruin people's lives. 
it erodes outcomes, it impacts all the stakeholders. I could go on, but but I think that we know that this is a, a, a real problem. So what the industry, what we're seeing in employee benefits is we're trying to come up with financial security programs or financial wellness programs. So you're going to hear that socialized a lot, and that's I'm smack dab in the middle of it. I'm really trying to move that ahead because people need help managing and paying for those big out-of-pocket costs if we are expected to continue having plans that have cost sharing. Yeah, I don't know if people are aware, but 70% of all people who file for bankruptcy is because they cannot afford their medical costs. It's not because they bought too many boats or cars. It's usually because they had health issues and they cannot afford the medical bills. And now they are without a home out on the street because they couldn't afford care. Absolutely. It's a slippery slope. It's interesting when you think about how we have created financial safety nets in America for all the things that we care about and we hold up as important to us. Like we have figured out a way for people to own homes, even though none of us have enough money in our pockets today to pay for home. We've done the same thing around education. Um, we've put four corners around how you afford a car so you can transport yourself back and forth. We've even figured out at this point, you know, how to buy a pair of pants on Amazon and four easy payments. Right. I mean, that's, that's all the rage. But yet we have not figured out how to put a financial security net under us for medical expenses. And it, it really is, it's time. And these financial security tools that are starting to come out. I'm, I'm finding that they come in two, two colors. And one of them is all about education, which I, which I do believe is necessary. So there's going to be a lot of financial wellness programs where you educate people on um, how they're going to afford care. But a lot of people would say, I, I don't know if I really am going in the place where I'm going to shop for an emergency, right? So it only goes so far. The second part is really putting our money where where our mouths are on the subject. And that is giving people access to lines of credit, to cash, even when they don't have a credit card in their wallet that, um, or A, do they have a credit card in their wallet? And if it has uh, any room on it, those are the people that we have to help. And it can't just be for those who we are willing to extend credit to. It has to be non-discriminatory. It has to be across all people who are covered under these health plans. And it has to be on consumer-friendly terms, again, just like we do in housing and education and all those other things. And it's got to be offered to everybody. So how are we trying to implement that? I mean, that sounds like a great story there, Amy. But I could break my leg today leaving the building and then wind up with complications. I need a hip replacement, all these things. And I'm not going to be able to get a line of credit today to pay for my medical bills. Right. And that's exactly what I'm trying to solve with our company. So uh, like practical advice for people today. So if you're in a situation like that, there are a few avenues that you have to go through. And they're unfortunate because people in that instance um, are in no shape to be wrangling with all the financial details. So that's the shame of the whole thing. But number one, you know, you always go to your healthcare provider and see if you can make payments over time. Unfortunately, we have pushed providers into being the largest unsecured creditor in every zip code. It, it's kind of unfair. They, they do float a lot of credit out there 
So number one, turn to them first and see if you can make payments. If you ghost them, um, they do have the right to take you to court, affect your credit, all those things. If you work with them, most of them um, will figure out terms to allow you to repay. There's also other programs where you can get lines of credit, but quite frankly, if you qualify for those lines of credit, you probably don't need them. <laughs> you <laughs> right. have a credit card in your wallet that would do that. Uh, another thing you can do is you could get an employer loan. Some employers are starting under the financial security umbrella to give hardship loans. There are hardships that you can take for medical from some of your retirement programs. That's a worst case scenario. And then what we're creating here at HealthBridge is a, a new type of employee benefit that sits next to all these high deductible plans and then just automatically pays for people's copayments, coinsurances, and deductibles, pays off to the providers, and then gives them an extended credit line 24 months at 0%. Those are the kinds, kinds of programs that I think will be meaningful when you put them across an employee population. You don't have to ask for it. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to embarrass yourself. Everybody just gets the same terms um, and they're, they're consumer friendly, things that you can't get on your own. And I do think that those types of benefits are going to start developing and who pays the cost for those. Some of it's paid by the provider. Some of it's paid by the employer and the payer, but it's all sides to the middle to solve this big issue. Anything else you need us to know as we wrap things up with these high deductibles and trying to afford any uh, out-of-pocket costs that we may have? I think I would just go back to my first tip that, or, or the number one tip is to learn your plan and ask for help. All right. Thank you again, Amy Chambers. You are the COO and co-founder of HealthBridge, and you've helped us understand a little bit more about deductibles and where you think are the better places to put our money. I hadn't thought of the HSA as, as opposed to an IRA. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's H-K-E-L-L-Y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media. Money Making Sense on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.